1: Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week. First up is John Lewis, the always excellent uh, founder and editor of Sports Media Watch. And we get into a, uh, a fun uh, sports media roundtable nerddom session on uh, some of the biggest topics going on today, including ABC getting 10 new Monday Night Football games, as well as uh, Colorado football and the Deion Sanders Effect, so I think you'll enjoy that if you are um, if you are into sports media. He is followed by Aaron Portsline. He's a senior writer for the Athletic, uh, has covered the Columbus Blue Jackets for many many years, and we talk about the Mike Babcock story. He resigned last week, less than three months on the job. Um, just a uh, an absolutely sort of oddball story here in terms of what the allegations are regarding Mike Babcock and uh, invasion of privacy of the players. And so we discuss um, that story from a media perspective, how Aaron saw it, the fact that the players went to Paul Bissonnette, who's one of the co-hosts of Spitting Chicklets, and and sort of how that plays. So if you're into uh, the NHL and NHL media, I think you'll enjoy that conversation with Aaron Portsline. One note before we do start, and I'll be doing this certainly throughout uh, the next month. I have a book coming out that I guest edited. It's The Year's Best Sports Writing 2023. Um, it is the, uh, the annual anthology of the best sports writing in America for that year. Um, was honored to be a part of that, had an incredible, um, advisory board, uh, with me picking these stories and, uh, that will be out October 3rd. So you can pre-order that from, uh, from Amazon or wherever you get your books. Again, the year's best sports writing 2023, just some incredible, amazing writers in there, including, uh, the late Grant Wall and the late Jonathan, uh, sarks from the ringer so um i'm proud of the book and 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 hopefully people who uh who purchase it will like it all right without further ado john lewis to start Aaron Port's line to finish coming up on the sports media podcast all right as i said at the top i bring in john lewis the founder and editor of sports media watch he's been on this podcast many times uh he's actually appeared on the mini podcast as well i appreciate that but uh now he's john you're on the main podcast not not a mini player anymore. You're a major player on this one. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Of course. All right. So let's start here. One of the things that broke this week was ABC announcing, I mean, it's sort really of, sort of Disney announcing, but ABC announcing that they're going to simulcast 10 additional Monday night football games. That's really, really interesting, John, just in terms of now the new reach that will come from these games being on abc that is impact obviously on on the viewership of monday night football which just logically is going to go up how significantly it goes up we don't know uh could have impact obviously on ad rates down the road could could have impact on some uh you know cable distributors not being happy but that that's a significant move and someone like yourself who really traffics in viewership um what do you think like because i, I was I didn't see it coming, and, and it I definitely took note of it.
2: Well, it'll be very interesting to see the impact because it's a one-year arrangement, right?
1: For it'll now. Be- we'll see, right? Exactly,
2: exactly. Because, well, if you're ESPN, you want the big numbers for yourself. You'd rather have a smaller overall audience where all of it is on ESPN than the larger audience you're almost certainly going to get with that ABC simulcast. At the same time, the numbers are going to be for Monday Night Football dramatically, I would think, healthier this year than they've been at any year since ESPN got the rights, because now it is an over-the-air product. So it'll be very interesting to see what wins out at ESPN, the desire to have these games on ESPN and those large audiences for ESPN alone. And of course, they'll be getting pressure from the cable distributors to do that, or to have the larger overall audience that will allow them at the end of the year to call this probably the most watched Monday night football season since ESPN got the rights.
1: We should note that. I think you noted as well that the reason for this, of course, are the strikes that are going on in Hollywood. They don't have, um, they don't have new programming ABC, or they'd have to just sort of create it as, you know, as cheap to make as possible. So this is, provides them with a massive solution in terms of you're not just talking programming but you're talking the best programming that exists right now when it comes to linear television that's the nfl so from my perspective while you know they'll say it's a sort of a one-year deal and it's in relation to the strike i don't know i mean both of us have covered this for a long time once you start putting up big viewership numbers you're generally not going to do something that's going to reduce it the next year right
2: well yeah exactly and uh, that's why it comes back down to how much is ESPN invested in making sure the cable networks, ESPN and ESPN2, are getting the biggest games for themselves, right? I mean, there's a reason why the National Championship of College Football is an ESPN product and not an ABC product. Do I think that they'll put that on ABC this year because of the strike? I actually don't. Because I think the benefit that you get from Monday Night Football in this particular circumstance is the week in, week out. Uh, and, you know, once the strike is over and ABC has whatever programming that they'll put on Monday nights, maybe they'll put Dancing with the Stars back there. Who knows? You know, it, it's it's hard for me to think that ESPN is going to want to go forward with only three exclusive Monday Night Football games a year. I, I just can't see that happening.
1: Yeah, Uh the, yeah, you know the distributors are not happy with this. We'll we'll, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Obviously, I think as everybody who listens to this podcast know knows uh, ESPN is the most expensive um cable channel out there. Um one thing on this John, and I don't really know the actually two things I want I want to get your take on. One, do you think now that the Monday Night Football is on ABC, which in theory might give some people um even who are just sort of, um, how do I sort of say this? They're just sort of going through their different channels and they're on ABC a lot, let's say, and they happen to see ABC and they see the football game and they'll stick with it. Do you think this has any impact on like the Manning cast or any of the, anything alternate programming that would exist within the ESPN universe for Monday night?
2: Now, if I recall correctly, I think this is amazingly season three of the Manning cast, right? So we're going back a couple of years if I recall correctly, that first Manning cast was on a night where ABC had the simulcast, and it was the weakest of all of them. Then the next, week, ABC didn't have the simulcast; it was just ESPN, and that was when the Manning cast started to take off. You could argue that having that ABC simulcast does kind of hurt the Manning cast a little bit, uh, but you know, all in all, it, it's probably not going to have that dramatic of an impact because by now you know, by now, everyone knows what the Manning cast is. And it's an established part of your Monday night routine, if you choose to watch it. So I don't think it'll have a big impact. And and those folks who are stumbling upon Monday Night Football on ABC, and they do exist, right. And that's the reason why sports on over the year will always do better than sports on cable because you are much more likely to stumble upon your local affiliate, your local affiliates are your home base, right? Uh, whereas ESPN two is a place you go to, if you know, there's a game on, uh, that's why I don't think that there'll be a, a big impact, uh, from that because that's not how people watch ESPN two. You don't stumble upon ESPN two, unless of course you are a true sports junkie than maybe, but even then, so I, I don't, I don't see it being a big deal.
1: And then the last one is like going to be interesting. You know, this is all under the, under the larger sort of shadow of Disney, um, putting out into the marketplace that they would contemplate selling ABC. And so, and, you know, we've already seen a couple of reports of some potential people who might be interested, including Byron Allen. Uh, This then gets back to, and again, um, this is, I don't think, and I apologize if, if I'm incorrect. I don't think this situation has sort of ever come up, not at least in sort of our lifetime. So the real question there would be, or this is sort of just making a logical guess, John. That if Disney were to sell ABC, they have these existing contracts already with um, with the NFL. Uh, you know, in theory, with the NBA, if they extend. So I think that as part of whatever that deal is, there's going to have to be some kind of carve out where Disney's like, okay, we'll sell this to you, but like these spots have to be guaranteed for the NFL, for the NBA, and particularly for the Super Bowl, which is like the biggest thing that's coming up on. ABC. So th- this is just fascinating, just in the sense that like within all this sort of smaller micro talk about Monday Night Football, like big A- big EA ABC could be sold in the next couple of years.
2: Yeah. And uh I think what you're getting at is probably what will happen because if you're Next Star or Byron Allen or whoever ends up getting it, assuming they're sold, you want those ESPN properties. You right. want the of end- the Super Bowl. And ESPN, for convenience's sake, they want that too. It's not going to be good for ESPN to try to figure out how to go to the leagues and say, hey, we don't have a broadcast network anymore. That's not going to work out for them. And it's not like they can go partner up with another broadcast network. Why would they do that when they already have a relationship with ABC? So I suspect it'll be a little bit like you see with the NCAA tournament, where CBS and Turner, they're not under the same umbrella. They're from two separate companies, but on the tournament, they work together. Uh, or even nbc and tnt with nascar years ago where i i don't know which one of them was producing the telecasts but they were using the same graphics same announcers etc
1: great call uh bob thompson i don't know if you've ever spoken to him um former fox sports uh um for for or fox sports national president um and somebody who's uh he's been in the room when these sort of big high level meetings has happened. I always enjoy talking to him. He literally said what I had, we emailed each other on this real quick. And he had said, if you're Disney, what you'd really want is some sort of continued ESPN on ABC branding. So like as part of the sale, like deal, like the literally, like you'd put into the contract, uh, we still want branding, even though we're selling this linear asset, which, um, which one I thought is pretty smart. If Disney, let's say does that. And two, um, you know, uh, I think if you're the place that's buying it, I don't necessarily think it hurts the the purchase at all because you're still affiliated, obviously, with uh, one of the most well-known places in the country.
2: Absolutely. And uh, one thing I do think you'll see is you might see more of the ABC in that branding. Like right now, if you watch a sporting event on ESPN, you know, there's an ABC logo and the little ESPN on ABC graphic. There's a little ABC logo in the bottom line, but I think you'll see more of the ABC branding because if you're Next or again whoever Ryan Allen et cetera, you're going to want to make sure that you know you're you know promoting your own brand there and not just letting ESPN have the run of the place like they do now. But I do think that for the most part it will look very similar to the way it is now. One thing I do think is that Next will pursue its own deals for ABC or Byron Allen again and obviously I'm talking like Next Star has already done it they just seem like the most likely to me so you might have ESPN branded sporting events for the NFL and NBA and maybe Next Star branded ABC events for the NASCAR Xfinity Series or maybe uh, Interesting
1: yeah you know. I could see that that's yeah or whatever comes up for bid right in the next 5 to 10 years which will be a lot of things um that's interesting I I Something to pay attention to. All right. I want to move on to Colorado, John. Uh, Deion Sanders has created essentially a gigantic content economy. You agree? Absolutely. Incredible. Uh, the Athletic, my, my current employer, um, <laughs> I, I can't – I don't – I've lost track at this point how many Colorado football-related stories we've done, but they've been it, – it, it's off the chart in terms of that number. Obviously, ESPN – has gone all in on that program. Fox Sports has gone all in on that program. The reality is people are interested in this story. You may like Deion Sanders, you may not, but what is not debatable is the fact that there's massive interest. Now, why do I say, or why would John say there's massive interest? Here's why. Saturday's Colorado-Colorado State college football game, which kicked off after 10 p.m. Eastern, averaged 9.3 million viewers on ESPN. The network's fifth largest regular season college football audience on record and absolutely the most watched late night game ever in the history of ESPN. John, I have never seen a viewership number like this for a game that started at at past 10 o'clock Eastern time that like didn't involve, I don't know, you know, like the biggest programs or the biggest sports star in the world. Um, I'm blown away by that number. What about you?
2: Well, I mean, obviously it's a massive number. Uh, Five out of the six games between the Lakers and Warriors, LeBron and Steph Curry, in the playoffs last year, started at or later than 10 o'clock. And those games did extraordinarily well. Obviously, as you might remember, it was the most watched second round NBA playoff series since 1996 none of those games did as well as Colorado versus Colorado State. Uh, And I mean, Colorado versus Colorado State, this is basically uh, what uh, folks of a certain generation might have done back when ESPN or, excuse me, EA Sports had the college football game, right? You would take over some terrible program that nobody cared about, and you would go into the settings and, and change the attributes of all the players so that all of a sudden they were superstars and then you just run roughshod rough over college football and be the number one team. Right. And that's what Dion has started to do at Colorado. This is still real life. So they're not going to go undefeated with the national championship, but he has taken a program that nobody had any thought about where the most recognizable alums of recent years are like, you know, Chris Fowler and Kate Fagan. Right. I mean, this, this has not been a relevant. Right.
1: In, sport, in, in pro- sports media. Yeah. You, I mean, you can go back to like the Cordell Stewart and, like that uh, yeah. year, but that's, it's, yeah, we're talking 25 years already.
2: Right. Exactly. I'm talking about the last decade, right? The last decade, you can't really name anybody. Uh, and he has made them into really the number one draw in college sports. You know, the comparison that I would make, and I don't know if people would be annoyed by this comparison. I hope they won't be, but it's to Caitlin Clark. Because what Caitlin Clark did at Iowa was turn something that, You know, it's a decent draw. You know, it gets okay numbers in the women's NCAA tournament. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see numbers that don't make sense in terms of what your expectations would be. And then you're like, 9.9 million viewers is so far beyond what anybody would ever have expected for uh, the women's NCAA basketball title game, even under the best case scenario. And very similarly, 9.3 million. For a Colorado, Colorado State at 10 o'clock. I mean, there was no universe before that game that you could have told me would get to 9.3 million. I would have thought it would be a tremendous success if it got to five or six million in that time slot with that opponent.
1: Yeah, that that that's the thing that really stands out here is that we're not, you know, it's like it'd be one thing if it was, let's say, Colorado versus Alabama, right? Or Colorado versus Georgia. You know, name your colorado versus michigan notre dame what's incredible is colorado state was the opponent and so that is not any kind of no offense either of those programs that's no no national rivalry at all in terms of uh television based colorado state is not a television team at all and so that it's just as you said it's just it's such a outlier number that you just you sort of like, if at least in our little sports media nerddom world, you're just sort of like blown away by it. I think the Caitlin Clark comparison, John, is a great one. The um, But, and here's my only caveat to this, if that's caveat's the right word, Caitlin Clark and Iowa played South Carolina in the final four, which was a monster viewership number. So they were going up against one of these signature programs in the country that had star coach. And star players on the court. They then went against LSU in that game. And that has a star coach and star players. So the Dion thing is even like crazier because at least with Caitlin Clark, the opponent was a major draw, both in the final four and the title game. This one is just, I think it's just pure interest in Colorado. And I think people honestly tuning in both to watch him succeed and to hope he fails. And that's, that's what it's. That's what he's created, is he's created this, um, he's created what all of the great viewership teams have always done, whether it's the Dallas Cowboys or the Lakers or any team LeBron, is you get casuals tuning in because they are rooting for you to lose or they are rooting for you to win. But they have an opinion on this. They actually care.
2: Yeah. And, you know, that's a great, you know, uh, bringing up LeBron. Th- this is reminding me of what LeBron was doing right around the decision. So exactly. So year before and the year after where the numbers were just really popping in a way that was unusual and has not been matched. right since.
1: because people because there were millions of people honestly who wanted to see lebron eat it and hated miami
2: yep
1: yep Absolutely.
2: and yeah. uh you know for for dion we know that this game coming up Against Oregon might be where you know the train stops. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it, and the view, and I think both of us would agree on this. Like once they lose, the viewership's going down. It's not going to go to zero. It will. They will still be one of the prominent television teams in the country. But I do think once they're not undefeated, John, I do think then you. This is. I mean, I could be. I can be totally proven wrong. But I think you're going to lose some casuals who just tuned in.
2: Well, the danger is with the uh, the injury to Travis Hunter for three weeks and the schedule getting tougher is if they get, end up being a mediocre team because you know uh, one or two lost Colorado team is still going to be, you know, to be.
1: Yeah, agreed. If they
2: three or four losses, then things might start to really fall off a bit.
1: Maybe I mean I think some of that though is if Dion's son maintains the high is is in a Heisman position. You know, you get a lot of attention from that. Travis Hunter will come back. Knock on wood. Hopefully, he's healthy. But I agree with you. The ha, it's it's interesting, John. Had they lost, what was the second game after TCU? Nebraska. Uh, okay. For just some random reason, had they lost that game, it's we're in a different universe, right? We're not seeing this this viewership number for Colorado State isn't wouldn't even be close to this. You agree? Yeah. Yeah. So that you are correct in the sense that like. If they do put up some multiple losses, um, I do think the train stops. And then the other thing that I would be interested in would be, let's forget about television for a second. Does that change like the Athletic and the Washington Post and the Ringer and ESPN or et cetera, et cetera? Like, does does the content start to recede there once they start putting up some losses? And I don't know the question. My My thought would be it does, but we'll find out if that happens.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that the content websites are going to slow down because that's a different business model than than you know television. There's you know there's always content that can be that can be written. So I think especially if they start to go down, then you'll see the you know the the criticism, you know the cheap shots, and there's always a there's always a market for that one and two. It's pretty easy to create too.
1: You know, by the way, this is a totally different topic, but I'll just ask you this, and maybe it's just me being on social media a little bit too much this week. But I find that I have seen more commentary of commenters or opinionists in the last month than I've seen in a while. Like it seems like everything Stephen A. Smith or uh, Skip Bayless or whoever, you know, name your to Robert Griffin III, um, you know uh, – okay. You know, you know what I'm saying like, again name anybody who's on a a show where uh, where opinions are given. it just seems like what people are saying is really drawing a whole sorts of then like rewrites content and look what this person said. you seeing that too or or maybe maybe this is just how it's been for the last five or six years and it's just one of those weeks for me.
2: No, it's much more pronounced over the past 18 months. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think there's a lot of websites out there that have pivoted to, you know, provocation and the easiest way to provoke a reaction is to go to the provocateurs on TV and reprint what they said. Can you believe I said this or why I said that? Um, you also see that a lot of the times with the, wow, what an offensive comment thing where it's something that might be taken out of context, like with the Pete Souza guy who, right, you know, right. But it sounded like he was. But well, what he said was terrible. But if you look at the context, we all—it's obvious from the context that he didn't intend to say what he said that way, based on his advocacy for people who have been in foster care. Uh, but you know, using that kind of stuff out of context to get people angry, right? This has been the way all of this has been done, dating back to who was it? Morton Downey Jr.
1: Yeah, no, to- you're 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 dead on. Like the the one thing in 2023 which is an incredibly successful business is monetizing outrage, monetizing anger, monetizing performative outrage. And I wish I could tell people like that's going away. I, I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's a growth business. and in particularly in an election year, it's going to be a massive growth business. It's not good for society, but I'm with you, John, it's not going away because there is money to be had. Oh
2: well, it's an old business and it goes back uh, many, many years. like I said, Morton Downey Jr., Jerry Springer, it's all in the same family.
1: Yeah. Joe McCarthy. If you want to get into politics too, goes back way, way. All right. Um, yeah, the Colorado story is fascinating. Um, I know some people are sick of it, but it's, it's, it's really honestly one of the most interesting stories out there. And we haven't even got, John and I aren't even discussing sort of, you know, the real interesting about it, which is just Dion as a disruptor and changing college football, making things more player centric. Uh, and, um, Yeah, but Joe, there's a million sort of uh, I hope uh, thoughtful college football podcasts out there that will uh, discuss that. All right, Joe. One last thing when it comes to um, college football, and obviously Colorado's had a massive impact on this, and that's um, college game day versus Big Noon kickoff. This has been I've been sort of paying attention and watching the viewership numbers. Uh, Game Day had a great great week off of being in Boulder. They had their one of their highest viewed shows in September in their history, they had about I think it was three million or so viewers in the final quarter hour compared to Big Noon Kickoffs one point two million. Which by the way, if your Big Noon Kickoff, and I told you that was going to be your number five years ago. You'd you know you'd be you'd be you'd be partying left and right in Malibu. Um, so the um, it's been interesting to sort of see both these shows. And it's one of these rare things where if you're both networks, I think you got to be happy. One game, they just had a monster viewership number. My sense is that they feel pretty good about their groupings with McAfee taking a big uh, center stage um, kind of feel to, to that show. And then if you're big noon kickoff, you actually have a legitimate, you're a legitimate competitor. You may not beat them in viewers, but you're like, you're legit. Like people are tuning to your broadcast and you're going to have some great games coming up. They got Michigan, Ohio state, they, they have Colorado later in the year as well. So it's like the rare sort of studio show, if it's even called a battle, where I feel like both networks have to feel good about this. What's How do you see it?
2: Oh, very similarly. I mean, the fact is Fox to be as close as it is to game day, and game day dominates this head to head. But for Fox to be even as close as it is, is a success story. Uh, I think the goal for Fox... It's interesting because it's the opposite of the NFL. They dominate the NFL, and they have been clearly number one ahead of the NFL today on CBS for the pretty much the entire time that they've both been carrying the NFL. But if you're Fox and you end up being the NFL today of college football, you're going to be very pleased because even though CBS will never catch Fox NFL Sunday, they have established a nice, solid secondary position. They get good numbers every week. And you know, there's nothing wrong with uh, with second place. Sometimes, I mean, that's the silver medal in the Olympics, right? So, if your Fox second place to game day is perfectly comfortable, I don't think they can realistically expect to ever catch college game day. But the simple fact that they're even as close as they are, I think, is uh, as you said, cause for celebration for them.
1: A hundred percent. That's like, you. Me and you literally see it the same. And they can make money off their college pregame show. So in that sense, Fox is going to win because they're going to be able to sell that. Um, They they have established, even on these campuses, people like checking out their show, which again is something that I don't think they ever could have dreamed of. And now they have their own traveling show. And I do think there are people out there who think uh, Big Noon Kickoff is better. I don't. Um, And, you know, I've been so clear how I feel about Urban Meyer uh in, in the athletic in sports illustrated in here i just again once you leave x's and o's there's nothing that guy says out of his mouth that i trust and it absolutely colors how i feel about that show that said you just got to be honest though and i'm with you john the fact that like they are in a second place position against one of the most established studio shows of all time which many people put in the top three studio shows of all time is unbelievably incredible and i you give full marks to Mike Mulvihill, who's their director of strategy and insights or their president of strategy insights, who came up with this idea to really go heavy on the 12 Eastern time, um, college football window and Fox has dominated that window. They've actually created themselves a college football window. And that's a big, um, that's a big story.
2: I would, uh, I would just say it took Fox in two or three years time. uh, well, let me rephrase that. Fox in two or three years time has come closer to game day than NBA countdown has to inside the NBA in 20 plus years.
1: Uh, A 1000%. I mean, unquestionably, including viewership and including um, just how people perceive uh, each of those shows. I mean, the reality is, and I think ESPN knows this, and I actually think they finally have figured it out that... um, they're just, they're just going to have to try to do what they can do as best as they can do it because they're never going to catch inside the NBA until um, Charles and, uh, you know, Kenny and Ernie uh, retire. And, and that, will, that day will come. I mean, these guys are in their 60s. I don't know if Kenny is, but I know Charles and Ernie are. And so, you know, there will be that. And then the, the competition will sort of open up and, and that will be interesting. All right, John. Here's the last thing, uh, and we can do this very briefly because this just broke, uh, like literally, like forty-five minutes uh, prior to just taping this. Um, Warner Max and Warner Brothers Discovery Sports announced. Uh, it's been sort of, uh, it's been out there for a while, but it sort of became formalized. The Bleacher Report Sports add-on tier that's coming to Max October fifth. You know, on this add-on package, MLB, NHL, NBA, NCAA Men's March Madness. U.S. soccer events uh, inside the NBA. I think um, if you have, if I'm correct about this, if you have um, Max right now, it will be no additional charge through late February and then eventually an add-on charge for, um, for this. The one thing here that's obviously interesting, John, to me is that Um, Warner Brothers Discovery has like tier one products. Like they have premium properties when it comes to their sports. So while, you know, you always wonder would people buy yet another streaming service? Well, you know, they do have some legitimate things to offer here. The other thing that's interesting about this is they said that um, this will not just be streaming only properties or exclusive to streaming. They're going to keep it on both linear as well as streaming. So what, Like I read that as they want reach as well. Um, So, again, this is very, very new as we're taping this today. But what were your top line thoughts on this announcement?
2: Well, the first thing is the fact that it's going to be paid eventually $9.99 a month seems a little low given what you're getting. But once you factor in you're already paying the base price for max. So maybe about 20 something dollars a month total.
1: Yeah. Which Uh, is a lot, right? I mean, I mean, well, it depends. I mean, it's, this is all individual stuff, but that to me is a high price for, uh, it's not over the top high, but it's high.
2: Yeah. Especially given, you know, max may not be for you personally. I don't have things that max. So, you know, nine 99 a month is perfectly fine for the sports. It's the other stuff that kind of gives me a little bit of pause. Uh, I did read in The Wall Street Journal, one of the folks at at uh, Warner Brothers Discovery was saying that, you know, CBS and NBC, they're making a mistake, giving it away for free, which I don't know about that because what you're getting for free, and I well, it's not really for free. for no additional fee uh, with P- with Peacock and Paramount Plus are simulcasts of over the year uh, games. over the year games are technically free, although, very few people are going to get a digital antenna, but they are technically free, so I can see why those are offered for no additional fee. Um, you know, I, I, I do think it makes things more convenient to have the Turner Networks available over the top. If you, for example, are a subscriber to Fubo, doesn't have the Turner Networks, I would have loved to have had this a year ago when I had Fubo. Instead, I had to get Fubo, and then I had to get Sling when the baseball playoff started, so I had two streaming services at once, which was not very efficient, but… Uh, I think all in all, it's the direction things are going. It's not going to stay $9.99 for very long. It'll be $15.99 soon enough. And uh, the price will keep going up, just like it did with YouTube TV and and all the streaming MVPDs that started out at $30. So enjoy getting it for no additional fee and then for $10 a month while you can, because uh, very, very soon it will be a much more expensive ticket.
1: Would you like to know something, John? That I know you will appreciate, given what you have done for so many years and done so well. um, That uh, I don't know how many others would, but uh, but I will tell you. As you know, John, I live in Toronto, right? So, like a lot of my and I have, I do have a, a cable service here. I do pay for pay TV. Do you know the hardest sports channel for me to get in Toronto, which is a great place to get American sports because TSN is a sister partner of ESPN and i could also get an additional sports package where i can get a lot of overflow college games or overflow uh like us open coverage whatever but do you want to know the hardest sports channel for me to get in canada
2: um, i have no clue what would uh, what is it tnt really
1: yes it is not partnered with any with rogers or bell which are the two big telecoms here and it's you are relying on uh tsn to occasionally and hopefully pick up basketball uh or pick up the inside the nba i do have the nba package up here so i'm able to get games but it is i have to let's put it this way figure out creative ways when it comes to march madness and and other turner uh uh events to get so that is interesting canada or at least where i am in Toronto, has to be an incredible place to see uh u.s television if you're willing to pay for it but that is a hard uh particularly hard uh hard channel to get um but i'll be curious you know again like uh, you know me and you have talked about this before we're now in an age where the new cable bundle is essentially like people getting all these different streaming services but i do feel like there has to be not there has to be there will be some kind of ceiling for people in the fact that they're just not like at a certain point there's gonna be some places where the average American consumer is like, I just, I am not going to pay for this. I just don't have enough money to do it. And you wonder when that happens and the consolidation happens like, will that be Paramount Plus or will that be Peacock? You know what I mean? It's just, I don't think it's sustainable at this point, given all the different streaming services and all the sports that are sort of floated between these different streaming services.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the fact is, cable wasn't sustainable and the very moment that people had the ability to break away from the bundle, they did. Uh, And we see the impact of that. The fact is, though, that people still want to watch live sports. And so as long as these direct-to-subscriber platforms have live sports, there'll be a market for them. But people will be selective as well with what live sports they are going to watch. They will need to have the end, Right you don't necessarily need to have baseball or the NBA or hockey. You need to have the NFL though. So that's certainly one you wanna have, but uh, you might also see a lot more of what I think is already going on, which is, okay, I need a streaming service for March Madness, that's three weeks. You can get one month of anything and cover the entire NCAA tournament, right? You might say, well, I need the NBA playoffs. Hey, YouTube TV has three months at a discount. I'll do that, right? Uh, that, to me, is going to be something you see more of. And maybe uh, the churn that you see with these direct-to-subscriber platforms or with the streaming MVPD uh, generally already is something that you couldn't do on cable because cable required all of these contracts, these big bulky boxes. You were kind of locked in. Well, you're not locked in right now. And so you will see folks do more of you know, hey, I'll get this for August. Or I, I won't.
1: You think? You think any of these? Before we go, you think any of these stream? I I think this would be a disastrous business proposition, but that doesn't wouldn't stop some businesses. You think any of these places would ever be like? You have to sign up. We're we're only going to charge you an annual fee. We're not going to make it monthly to try to avoid the churn.
2: Well, Fubo's kind of done this already with their three month subscription. Um, I think doing an annual fee only would be crazy i, I think agree. yeah direct tv stream would be the only one that i would think would do this because they are ATT and and they are used to that sort of thing uh but i i think it would be I, I don't think it would be smart what they what they won't do but i think would have some potential would be maybe a three-day pass right you know you want to watch whatever, I don't know, uh, the Prefontaine classic, right? That's kind of a random suggestion. Right. Probably you know, not probably not a lot of people would want to watch that given the popularity track and field. But let's say you want to watch that and you get a three-day pass to Peacock to be able to do it. And you can charge a little bit more for that three-day pass than the three days would be worth if it was a monthly subscription. But I, I don't see them doing that. And I think that would be a, a, a pretty interesting concept.
1: Yeah, I think... You may have a business if you did it for some niche, if we want to call it like niche events, um, you know, like, uh, I'm just making this up. I mean, you can get this on NBC, but whatever, like the Diamond League, you know what I mean? You get like a subscription to the Diamond League season or a subscription to like uh, the world championships of track and field over two weeks, um, you know, sort of individualize it. But yeah, it's, it's tricky because there's a lot of pricing points issues with these companies and Consumers, I think, are going to be fickle if you charge them um, too much. At a certain point, like it, it, it gets to be too much. All right, John Lewis is the uh, founder and editor of Sports Media Watch. Check out that excellent site. Follow John on uh, on X slash uh, Twitter. And um, John, what's your what is what is the situation with your podcast these days? If you want to uh, get a plug on that.
2: Oh well, uh, T, uh, Drew and I, and you said TJ. Uh, Drew and I will be taping later this afternoon, as we always do. Uh, I've, uh, you know, I think this is going to be episode thirty-one with me and Drew since uh, we launched back in February. And
1: the name of the podcast is
2: the Sports Media Watch Podcast. So it's a very creative name. Uh, and uh, it's uh all the discussions we've had today, talking Colorado football and many other things we'll be talking during that podcast as well. Every single Wednesday morning, uh, you can uh, catch that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. So if you can't get enough of my uh, my work here, uh, check that out too.
1: Check that out, please. We support all these podcasts. John, it's always great of you to, uh, to, to jump on. I appreciate it, and uh, you'll definitely be back. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: All right, as I said at the top, this guy is one of the best hockey writers in the country. Aaron Portsline is a senior writer for The Athletic, obviously my colleague, but uh, when and if The Athletic eventually kicks my butt down the curb, I will feel the same way. He covers the Columbus Blue Jackets, and he previously worked at the Columbus Dispatch covering the Blue Jackets. He is the authority when it comes to that team, and obviously that team has been in the news, and that's why I bring him in now. Aaron Portsline, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
0: Yeah, thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me.
1: You got it. Okay. So let's um, let's start here, Aaron. This is based on your reporting here. Mike Babcock resigns this past Sunday, less than three months after his July 1st hiring, as you say, issuing a pithy statement that suggested he was stepping aside because he was going to be, in his words, too big of a distraction if he remained on the job. Um, This is probably not the story that you expected uh, third week, second week of September 2023, but it is the story you have. Um, So let's start here. Prior to this all blowing up, how would you sort of describe covering Mike Babcock as the new Blue Jackets coach? What was just that experience like in terms of access, your impression of him, the organization sort of putting him front and center?
0: Yeah, well, it's uh, obviously pretty limited uh, because he was hired July 1st. Uh, There were a couple of press conferences there then that where he explained how much he had changed. And I had a couple of phone conversations with him. I had a lengthy Q and a with him a couple of weeks ago, you know, even in those interactions, there wasn't a, I I mean, I got the sense we were going to get along. Okay. I've covered, you know, Tortorella I've covered others who have a history or, you know, some people would see them as difficult. Um, Tortorella was great by the way, but that's a different podcast. Um, it was clear that babcock wants to take a position of power in every interaction i feel the need to say this right away he did not ask me for my cell phone i would not have given it to him but that was none of that was an issue but it it was um it wasn't you know it wasn't a confrontational meeting at all it was not warm and fuzzy either i thought we would get along fine i think he was just really trying to figure out you know who he was dealing with here um, and you know, I, I think he still was in that position of, you know, when is the Toronto question coming? Uh, with every uh, interaction he had, so he was sort of on edge and on alert a little bit, which I understood. Um, but yeah, it, it seemed fairly normal to me.
1: I want to take you back to when Paul Bissonnette first sort of put out there about the, um, you know, players sort of being. And this is sort of my paraphrase and a little disturbed by the ask from Mike Babcock about. Um, their phones and personal photos. You know, sometimes, uh, Aaron, as you know better than most, sometimes these stories just essentially fade away after a day or two. You know, somebody says something and it's gone. This one was different. This one sort of was a slow burn and then boom, it was an inferno. Do you happen to remember when you first saw Bissonnette's comments and what your own thought process was when that came out?
0: Yeah, my thought was that this needed to be taken Seriously, so there was an immediate attempt to get a response from the Blue Jackets. Have you seen this? Have you heard this? And um, General Manager Jarmo Kekalainen said he was still having some conversations and would get back to me with it. Um, The NHLPA, uh, the NHL, and the Blue Jackets pretty quickly circled the wagons and said, "We've talked to these players: Boone Jenner, Johnny Gaudreau, others, and they felt they they said." that the story was was uh, misconstrued or misrepresented in the telling by Bissonette, who, by the way, is a, fa- is a fantastic storyteller, leans towards the profane, which does not a- offend me Here, a lot of other people. Um, but so you wondered, you, you know, we were careful, uh, I'm proud to say, the first couple of days to just sort of keep the ball in the fairway. Paul Bissonette is standing by his story. Here's what the Blue Jackets are saying, including the players, um so here's what it is and we really didn't know you know a they were sort of telling different stories so who's telling the truth here and where is it going to go i think the blue jackets were hopeful so was the league and perhaps the pa that this was just going to die down um and then after the initial statements i think there were some people that were deeply unsatisfied with how this had been told to this point and decided to contact the pa with their own experiences and then it became clear to them that they needed to do more digging at no point did we ever say that Paul Bessonet has been proven wrong here. At no point did we say he was out of line. Uh, I get along fine with biz. I wouldn't say we're close or we're friends. Um, but I know him well enough to, to, to contact him and get a quote. He's a difficult man to quote in a publication because a lot of, a lot of it, um, is, a little hyperbolic and 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 you know impassioned sometimes profane so i did get some stuff from him and and again laid it out that he was standing by it uh and this is how he what he what he has heard and believes it's true from numerous nhl players so at the start it was a very confusing story uh, to be sure
1: so what was the rocket fuel that sort of made this thing go from one story to mike babcock ultimately resigning was it the fact that the pa ultimately got um contacted by other players and then reporters like yourself eventually became aware of it because at a certain point it did go from like uh you know uh you know low low level sort of story to man is babcock gonna resign or be fired and then obviously we now know what happened
0: yeah so for us it was it was the pa coming to columbus to talk to players that's not a trip they make unless there's a pretty serious conversation to have. Um, And then after that, they made their report to the NHL and, you know, you started to hear, Oh boy, this, this is worse. This is bigger. You know, X player had this interaction with Babcock and you wondered if players like Boone Jenner and, and uh, Wierenski and Gaudreau were kind of fodder in all of this, or, you know, if they were part of an attempt to make this just go away Um, And what it seems like today is that either they perceived their interactions with Babcock differently than than the young players did or that they were just literally handled differently than the young players were. Um, And and so and I think those players once they even said it today, once they caught wind of how it went with younger players. Uh, And by the way, this was at Babcock's. Uh, residence, perhaps as well as it was here in the office, hit the tiki bar in in his backyard. He's got set up a a screen. Um, So, you know, that elevated it certainly to the PA, certainly to some of the Blue Jackets players. And uh, John Davidson said today that Friday in Traverse City, where the team was for the prospects tournament, he got a call, left a, a a dinner at a restaurant, went to sit in his car by himself to to hear this, and it was the league and the PA together uh, that informed him. But we've got you've got much bigger problems than than you may think you had. And at that point, they kind of knew that that Mike Babcock had to go.
1: Let me ask you a question about um, Paul Bissonnette's role here, and not necessarily just him, but sort of what he represents. Yeah. He's the he's one of the co-hosts of probably the most popular podcast sure. that exists sure. today in hockey. You know, it's, I don't have the, the rate, the rankings in front of me, but that's usually number one in hockey, you Absolutely. know, 32 thoughts at sports. And that's a big one. So, you know, he, he has a significant standing in the sport. He's also obviously on uh, Warner brothers discoveries um, studio show again, one of the two big studio shows in the sport. So it's a significant guy. Do you see um, any kind of larger implications here in today's current players going to let's say former players who are now in the media as opposed to maybe 15 20 years ago where they may have went to you i just wonder yeah. if, from your perspective as someone who's sort of who's who's day-to-day with the blue jackets is there something do you do you, do you predict something bigger going on here other than the fact that just pissing got word of this and put it out there
0: uh you know i don't know that i see anything bigger i, I think for years i recognized that a, a former player is held in different regard in the dressing room. So the the broadcasters, as you know, Richard, will often have um, a, a separate standalone with the coach or with a player after the the print media or the the local media gets done talking to them. And it, it can be fascinating some of the things that they feel liberated to tell uh, former players. Uh, and a lot of that is just trust. They 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 realize they know that the person they're talking to will understand where they're coming from with stuff. Um, and I, I I don't know that this is anything new, except that, that there are more players in media now, because there are more ways, uh, there, there are more things under the media umbrella now Podcasts didn't exist years ago. Uh, Um, I think, I think Paul Bissonnette did this organization. They may not feel this way right now. I think he did them a huge favor. I don't think he did do them a favor, uh, necessarily, but it does them a huge favor by getting this out now and not allowing something like this to fester. Imagine if this percolated and went into the season. Uh, young guys imagine old if you're
1: guys. going for a playoff spot oh, and this story on. breaks. yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, I, I I think it's it's a new reality and that there are more um, avenues for players. there's more podcasts. but you know what this the, the spit and chiclets kind of stands on its own. you mentioned how how popular it is. It's not just that easy to start your own podcast and get that kind of following. Um, those guys I think are seen as part of the people. they're uh, down to earth they, they're comfortable with the masses they uh, I think they celebrate a, a certain element of hockey that that isn't necessarily necessarily reflective of how the game is really played today but it's damn entertaining uh, and a lot of people a lot of people love to, to to get their their hockey fixed through those guys, and so you know, to, nothing nothing but respect to them on that front.
1: All right, a couple more here. Um, how would you define the access that Blue Jack, the Blue Jackets organization gives to reporters such as yourself?
0: Uh, I think it is probably as good or better than most, and I, I think you know, market dynamics I think affect this um, a lot a, a everywhere. Um, I think a team's success and the number of people covering them affects them. They're pretty good here. Uh, And I think some of that is because they need to be pretty good with the, you know, the, the just massive obsession that Ohio state football is. They've always, they have their own fan base. They don't need to, you know, they're not, they're not short of fans here. They have a great following and a strong following. There are people that love the blue jackets and don't give a hoot about Ohio state football but media-wise, it's been a, a real work for them. I think to get uh, TV and radio stations to pull away from, you know, what they're comfortable with, Ohio State football, and, and cover the Blue Jackets. So whenever that happens, they're usually really uh, helpful and welcoming to, to media, making things happen in a variety of ways to to get access to people. But it, it's pro sports, right? So it's these players also have a role in it, and how much they want to be accessed. Um, so it's not always just whatever you want, but it's it's pretty good.
1: As someone who's uh, covered this league for a long time, what market or out of for you out of town market would you say is maybe the tightest access? What what has been the toughest for you in terms of getting something from an, from another franchise?
0: You know, I, I think it, it ebbs and it flows. I think Chicago used to be really great, and then when they got to be really good, they got really difficult. Um, you know, it, you go from even a market that size, you go from six to eight regular guys or people covering the team. And then they they start peeling off Stanley Cups and now you've got, you know, just huge national TV all the time. It's just different. Um, I think, you know, Colorado used to be difficult. Again, when they were really good, they were really difficult and just, you know, no access. You're not getting that. Um, and even that's gotten better. Uh, Nashville used to be. As relaxed as anybody, I think for a while they were difficult. Now they're back to being pretty good again. A lot of it's the tone that's set at the top. A lot of it's the PR person and the fights that they're willing. I think I think this league is still a great league to cover when compared to other pro sports because most of the people are quite accessible uh, and down to earth. Uh, I covered baseball long enough to know uh, it was minor league baseball, but sometimes that's harder than covering the the, the big leagues because nobody wants to be there. Uh, that can be a real a real challenge. And hockey is uh, as long. I've had that experience, so I, I think that it sort of informs me uh, to never take what I do here for granted.
1: Last one for me. I read this. I don't know if you happen to read it today, but the Bruce, author of the Toronto Star, wrote a really good piece on um, how this seems to the Babcock um, dismissal. So I know it's a resignation dismissal. Oh, yeah, well, seems to yeah seems to be an indication maybe of. The last of the hard ass coaches going away, like that type of, um, that type of archetype in the NHL is anachronistic or a dinosaur. I, I, that was his thesis. I don't know if it yeah. if it's true or not. As a guy who covers the league on a day to day basis, what what do you think of that theory? Is this is Mike Babcock the last of a dying breed, or does that coach or will that coach still exist in the NHL?
0: Well, I, I love Bruce Arthur. He's one of my favorite columnists, and I would like to read it before I disagree with him. But I will say this. um, I'm a little exhausted, and this isn't about Bruce again, but just in general, at the suggestion that what happened to Mike Babcock here is the result of younger players not being able to handle uh, a, a tough coach. Okay. John Tortorella was here. He's pretty damn tough. And he was mostly, there were exceptions, there were times where probably everybody in the room hated his guts. On the whole, it's the best run of play they've ever had here. And a lot of players in that room still love that man and his coaching. What, what Mike Babcock is accused of doing, if you think of the Mitch Marner incident, the way that it's been tell, told, if you think of this thing with the cell phones here, this is not a, 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 an issue with young players just not being able to handle uh, a a demanding veteran coach this is unacceptable behavior plain and simple i don't care how old you are what league it is you know the difference in your age is whatever you just can't have that that's personal that's an invasion of privacy that's looking through someone's bank statements that's rooting through their purse uh the, you know if if, if this that the, what some players say they endured is accurate. I'll take them at their word. You just can't have that. And that that's rooted out, gone forever. I hope that somebody thinks they can get away with that. But I think there's still a lot of different ways to coach and to motivate. And I think there, there can be a firm hand if players recognize you know, the fairness of it across the board, that the, the veteran players, the top players are held to the same standard. You are, if you see that there's a benefit to it, it can't just be senseless screaming and and abusing. I hope that's gone forever. Um, but I, I don't know. All it takes is one person to make, you know a hire. Uh, did you know, look who's been rehired in the Western Hockey League just recently. I mean, and I'm I'm thinking today, well, Babcock is most likely done in the NHL. seems a safe assumption. All it takes is one one person two years from now to say, let's give the old boy a role here. And so I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's done or not. I'd like to think the really gross bad stuff is gone. Um, But I I think Babcock is a is an extreme example and not an example of a tough old coach, necessarily just a guy that doesn't understand boundaries uh, in any way.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that answer. Uh, If you just sort of step back at the request itself, I I think you nailed it. It's just such a It just shows such a lack of judgment in terms of, like, where we are today in the world that I can't even believe a guy who, you know, at least has a reputation of being bright and intelligent would just do it. It Like, the lack of self-awareness is astounding. Like, I think that's where I lie down. And you're correct. Like, all those players have every right to um, be critical of that. Like, you know, just think, if you know any millennial... Like, what do they think of their phone, man? It's like their baby. You don't touch yeah, that I'm stuff Yeah, I'm 53. At all. It's
0: pretty important to me, too.
1: Right, right. Exactly. I mean, exactly. come on. Yeah. Aaron Portsline is a senior writer for The Athletic uh, covering the Columbus Blue Jackets. Check out his work on that site. Follow him on uh, X slash Twitter as well. Aaron, man, uh, keep up the great work. And um, I hope at least over the next couple of days it's a little quieter.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. Good to be with you.
1: Alright, back in the studio, my thanks to uh, John Lewis and Aaron Portsline for their time and insights. If you like these kind of conversations, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch archives page where there should be some stuff you like. Just had a mini pod a couple days ago with Anthony Kruppi, the uh, fine sports media reporter from Sportico. Uh, Ava Wallace was on this podcast to talk about how she covers um, tennis, the fine Washington Post writer. Al Michaels, Fred Godelli, Mark Teitelman, the uh, brain trust of amazon prime videos thursday night football coverage they were on this podcast uh, that was interesting kevin clark now of omaha productions and espn one of the great football minds in the country pat mcafee show producer and on-air personality ty schmidt todd blackledge nbc's college football analyst again there should be things you like in the archives and if you do like these conversations please leave us a five-star and a nice note that's how this podcast continues want to thank Patrick Anthony for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.